Hi everyone, I'm Naomi and you are listening to On The Path. I'm an entrepreneur, a real food lover, a spiritual seeker, and a first time mom. Every week I'll be offering you new insights and showcasing friends, family, and interesting guests who all have unique perspectives on this thing called life. No topic is off limits. Business, food, and mindfulness are just a few of the discussions we'll be exploring. I want you to laugh, get inspired, and have some tools to take with you on your road ahead. This is On The Path. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of On The Path. Today, I'm sitting down with my friends Zane and Amal Weilman, who are the founders of Ubuntu Life, which is a global lifestyle brand based in Africa, specifically my Maihu, Kenya. And Zane started Ubuntu 20 years ago as a nonprofit after buying a one-way trip to Africa, and he met his business partner there, and the company has just gone through such incredible dramatic transformations over the course of the last 20 years and has made such an incredible social environmental impact on the people of my Maihu and beyond. And they're doing really exciting things. They've got great partners like Marvel, Disney, and Zazzle with some of their customizable shoes that they launched last year. And their story is really unique. Zane went from a pastor to becoming a businessman. And his wife, Amal, went from producing shows and fashion to them coming together to create this really incredible platform that has a strong ethos and give back mission. And so rather than me butchering their story, I want them to share it with you for themselves. So let's go. You're listening to On The Path, where we believe wellness is more than just the food you eat. It's what you think, how you live, and the daily choices you make. Your host, Naomi Seifter, will share new perspectives, insights, and tools to help you live your best life. Without further ado, here's Naomi. Well, welcome, everyone. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'm here today with my friends, Zane and Amal Wildman, who are the founders of Ubuntu Life, which is an amazing lifestyle brand based out of Africa. So I would love for you guys to just start off by sharing a little bit about your company. Sure. You want to go? You want me? Go for it. So yeah, Ubuntu Life is a leading lifestyle brand out of Africa based in Maimayu, Kenya. Um, And we have basically two branches of the company, uh, which has changed significantly since we've known each other. Um, So we have Ubuntu Life um, Enterprise Public Benefit Corporation, which is a lifestyle brand selling accessories, shoes, bags. We have a bottled water business in Kenya as well, Um, natural spring water. And then we have the leading espresso cafe and bakery, Cafe Ubuntu, uh, which we co-built in a partnership with Whole Foods Market. Oh, my gosh. So many things going on. So many things. And then we have the other branch of the company is Ubuntu Life Foundation, um, which is actually the heart and the the beginning, the birth of of Ubuntu Life in general, which is um, our focus is special needs, education, and healthcare. And so we actually started, this is our 20-year anniversary, um, and we started, you know, I bought a one-way ticket to Kenya 20 years ago, met my co-founder, Jeremiah Kuria, who was running an orphanage for 140 kiddos. Um, and we both had said, you know, we were committing our lives to serving humanity, um, serving God, 
and we didn't quite know what that looked like. Both of us had been working in the church and didn't necessarily feel that the church was the best fit Mm -hmm. for living out that service to God and to humanity, but we didn't quite know what that was going to look like. And so we just stayed committed to each other as friends and co-creators in this endeavor that hadn't quite, you know, formed its identity. Yeah. Um, And so what we had said is no matter your tribe, no matter your religion, no matter your sex, your race, um, if you're with the most marginalized, um, then you were with us. And so who were the most marginalized in these communities in Kenya were people, especially children living with special needs. And oh, so, so, beautiful. so that was the birth was serving children with special needs and their families. And a few years into doing that, we started talking to the mothers of those children um, and the mothers, we, we now blame them for making us go from pastors to businessmen <laughs> <laughs> because it was their idea to make product. They wanted a job now that we were taking care oh of their children gosh. five days a week. Um, and we we're like, OK, what? Well, that's great. Maybe, you know, this job that we help you guys create could help offset the costs of running the special needs program. Um, they said they wanted to learn how to sew. So we started making bags, and then next thing you know, we were doing reusable canvas coffee sleeves. We got those into every Whole Foods market in the country. I have chills and then everywhere that, already. And then, that, <laughs> and then, that, and then that, that's how it birthed. Yeah. So when you were thinking about going to Kenya for the first time, did you already have the idea in your mind that you were going to try and find a business partner there? Or what, what led you there <laughs> no, in the beginning? Not at all. It was like... I had come to kind of a, I guess, a, um, a wall of what I envisioned for my life. Um, in my senior year of college, I was supposed to go, the next the next logical step was to go to medical school mm. to become a doctor because that was my whole background that I was pursuing in my undergraduate. And I remember talking to someone, I was home on a break, and I was talking to you know family friends, um, and they're asking me, you know, like, so why medicine? And I had kind of my, like, go-to response, which was, um, well, I I love medicine, I love science, but my real passion is to help people. And so that's why I want to go into medicine. And then this inner voice popped in my head, which was, how do you know you've never helped anybody? Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, maybe I am full of shit. Maybe I don't like to help people, yeah. you know? And so that that provoked me to then think about, okay, what would that look like to actually help people? And before I go into medical school and then, you know, get into all this debt to then become a doctor, and then I look back at my life when I'm 60, 70 years old, you know, it's like I'd rather start on the front end and start answering those questions. And so it was three questions. What does it feel like to help people? Um, you know, who is God and, and what's my relationship with God? Um, and then who would I be if you dropped me in the middle of nowhere? Would I, am, I, am I who I am because it's intrinsically me? Or is it because of family, the expectation, friends' expectation, mm. Western society's expectation that's forming my character? And so then I that I bought a one-way ticket to Africa, um, went with this random organization. You know, I kind of just like applied to dozens of organizations, and this one just seemed to be the right fit. They didn't mind that I didn't have everything packed together perfectly, and they were like, "Okay, yeah, we're going to have you come to Kenya." Wow, so they decided They for decided. You. I had no, I had never had any desire necessarily to go to Africa. I didn't have that story, you know, that we've had a lot of people come to Africa with us. And they're like, oh, my God, I can't wait to go. I've always th- envisioned myself in Africa. I didn't have that story. Yeah. You know, and so for me, I was just wide open to explore those questions. 
and I just happened to be placed in Kenya. I happened to go down with a group of doctors and nurses to this one orphanage. Jeremiah happened to be running that orphanage, and then we struck oh up this friendship, and then the vision came. Came to <clears> life <throat> from there. Yeah. So when you were with these doctors yeah. and nurses, was it like a clear realization, wow, I don't want to do that? I want to go no, in a different direction? No, I mean, like, or? what I love about medicine, even to this day, is when you are sick, like, I love authenticity. Like, yeah. I love to talk to people about real things, and, and, I, and I do love to connect with people. Um, and you don't, there's no really other time in life that you feel the need for connection than when you're not feeling well. Yeah. And you really need someone. And someone so from, to take care of. Yeah, you want to be taken care of, and someone, a good healthcare professional, wants to take care of you. And so I kind of rode that, uh, you know, co-pilot, you know, role in with all these doctors and nurses. You know, I was along for the ride for that entire year. But I would, so I was working in a clinic. I was assisting doctors and, you know, the theater and operations and just learning as I was going along. Um, but then I would go down and meet with Jeremiah every Thursday and we would go have lunch and he introduced me to his community. And then we start, oh, I started so seeing beautiful. ways to connect and help in other ways other than medicine. And I'm like, I like this more, like intuitively, whatever this is, I'm actually enjoying where this is going more than the function of medicine. Yeah. But like what I really did discover, which it was trusting that voice, I actually really did love helping people, but I didn't actually care it was a different to do it way. in medicine. It was yeah. in a different way. Wow. But it's crazy that you've been in business now for 20 years and it started as a nonprofit, yes. right? And like you said, now you've got this different sector of the company where you're yeah. focusing on retail and apparel. And yeah. it's just amazing to see how your initial interaction with Jeremiah has turned into this full-blown organization yeah. that is just so multifaceted. So at this point, is Jeremiah still involved? Is he running things overseas? Yeah. Or? So the way we... So we just... So the for-profit side has just, it's brand new. So we kind of hit a ceiling. We tried to run the enterprise side as a nonprofit, but we could only grow it as, you know, so far with nonprofit dollars. Um, and so we restructured the business at the end of 2019, and we just started raising capital like two months ago for the for-profit. And so the owners of the business, it's shared three ways, Amal, Jeremiah, myself, and so Jeremiah is running the show, Kenya side, and then he has, you know, Paul and Gladys and other very competent people, you know, working underneath him in their respective roles. What has it been like creating a nonprofit first and then going to a for-profit company? What that, what's that been like for fundraising and yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I have I was so scared, and I'm looking to attest to this, like. You, you know, I was scared to go because I'm an Episcopal priest, you know, went from Africa and that experience to then like, oh, I want to help people. And, oh, God is real. You know, I became a priest. And then I was like, oh, well, I actually love this Africa thing more. So then went back into Ubuntu full time. But there's always that fear when you jump into that next section of life or sector. So for me, I was really scared to become a priest and then I did it, and I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed it. But then I saw this desire for this other space. So then I went into being running a nonprofit. I was like, I'm really scared to ask people for money and raising money, um, and did that. 
you know, for donations. And then the last three months, there's just been all this fear of going from raising donor dollars to raising investor dollars. And like, well, all these investors think I'm a fraud. I don't know what I'm talking about, you know, because when you talk to people, it's a totally different mindset, a donor mindset and an investor mindset. And it surprised the hell out of me. I've actually, I've loved talking to investors mm-hmm. more than, I mean, I love all of our donors out there, yeah. but like, but like talking to donors, it's kind of like they know what, how much capital they have to give away. It's more philanthropic. Yeah. Like- and they're like, here, take it, go do good. And, and with investors, it's like, it's game time. Mm. Like they are, there's a rigor behind it. There's a real analysis of why they're doing it. There's a real like discernment. Is this the right fit for my money? And is my money going to go to something that I can add real value to mm-hmm. and oversee? And with the donor, it's not really, it, we've had rare, don- we've had donors like that, but it's the rarity. Right. Yeah. I, I can't even imagine what that experience is like and how different it would be talking to somebody who's just trying to put their money out there for, you know, I've got 10% of my income that I'm just going to allocate towards, you know, something I believe in versus, like you said, when you start getting involved with investors, the conversation varies. Yeah. And so I think it's really important. What I'll say from my personal experience is I have, I feel so blessed to have such an incredible a uh, group of investors who really believe in my concept mm-hmm. that are behind us. And I know that it can be difficult to find the right people. So as you guys have started this search looking for investors, not donors, what are you looking for most to best suit your brand? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, well, I'll go back to relationships. I think it's, there are key, and I believe in this, you know, my background as a priest that God does bring in the right people at the right time when you're when you are leaning into every day and pursuing mm-hmm. you know that purpose um, and paying attention and open. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us, you know, it's like I was looking for this very open space, this very open purpose and met Jeremiah. And, you know, from Jeremiah, there have been countless people who have come in and helped flush out that vision of Ubuntu, like you know, I didn't know anything about building a cafe and we struck up this partnership with Whole Foods. You know, I didn't know anything about the Kenya legal system. And we had this amazing attorney named Dorothy who like just paved the way for us in Kenya. Um, you know, didn't know anything about making sewing product. And then the American Sewing Guild comes in and sends three teams three years in a row and teaches our ladies how to sew. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, and then our product line had gotten to kind of a ceiling um, and then, you know, I fall in love with Amol around the same time we had this guy, board member, Jeff Beaver, who owns Zazzle was leaning in and came up with this idea for a shoe and Amol between Amol and Jeff have really taken Ubuntu as a lifestyle brand to the next level. Mm. Um, you know, as in those are some good looking shoes. <laughs> <laughs> They're and both wearing a pair right now. I yes, definitely our need lot some. of mules go to Ubuntu.life. <laughs> Um, but so with investors, and I've said this, it's, it's been helpful. I've had a few key friends who are like, these guys need you as much as you need them. Like, don't take any money that doesn't fit with your values. Mm-hmm. And it's the same, it's the same thing with like, you know, how Amal and I work together and live together as husband and wife, how Jeremiah and I have remained friends and co, you know, founders mm-hmm. of Ubuntu. And I think with investors, it's the same. It's like, you know, 
This is a different type of investment. We're not looking to sell this business after we scale it in the next five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. We're going to pay investors out over dividend structure. Um, but this is a, and we've seen it with investors, like the right type of investor. We, you know, there are some typical VC guys that we've talked to and they've been like, well, my VC firm won't do this. Right. But I would like to do this personally because this is a different type of investment for me. I'm really passionate about it. Um, this has value to it that I don't get to participate in mm -hmm. in the VC world. Um, and, and so it, wanting to be part of this community. Yes. And yeah, and wanting to be a part of the Ubuntu community that we have built here in Austin mm -hmm. and that is a global minded community. You know, I think which is something we really offer that's unique that Omal I've talked a lot about is, you know, Austin, what we all love about Austin is hyper Austin, mm -hmm. you know, hyper local. Um, but at the same time, you know, people do know we're all connected as a global community and there aren't a lot of vehicles to participate in that like we offer people at Ubuntu Life. Well, I'm sure you've just made incredible strides in building and supporting the community in Kenya also. Yeah. I mean, what's it been, what's the difference in the town where you guys have started where you are now versus where it was 20 years ago? Um, you want to share with what you've seen in the five years? Gosh, in the last five years? Yes, I've seen I've seen amazing growth. city has blown up. I mean, the population, I think, when Zane started was... 15,000? Yeah, it's like 15,000. Tiny. Yes, tiny. 75,000 now? Wow. In the last five years? No, that's in the last... twenty. in the last 20 years. Wow. But last was... five, I wouldn't be able to tell you the stats, but, you know, just in the first time that I came to Kenya, like, Zane and the team planted... 2,000 indigenous trees on the land. Oh, yeah. that's so beautiful. So we own 11 acres of land where you know, our cafe is and our factory. A lot of these trees were the size of me, you know, when I first went. And now we're talking huge. 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 They're towering and over, like, our factory now. Are yeah. they really? Yeah. yeah. And so just that, you know, that alone has been extraordinary. And the amount of kids we've been able to serve, you know, since the programs have grown in the last five years, I mean, you start seeing families moving from out of country, even, to my Hue in order to enroll their special need kids in the program. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. so beautiful. So that's a big uptick that we've seen, really, in the last like couple of years, really. Yeah. A lot more. Um, yeah, and then our moms, you know, we... Probably the Ken the moms in Kenya yeah, that make all of our mm -hmm. that make all of our product we call them our maker moms I love that probably yeah. have like 100, 150 full time staff now so. oh my gosh see that's the thing you know you can think about obviously it's great to create something like you said hyper local here in Austin yeah but you're cr dramatically transforming lives in Kenya and you have an opportunity probably to build a bigger infrastructure there than I imagine you'd oh, be able to well, getting started here. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, this is a big one. Gosh, I'm sorry, I forgot, but the dry port. Yeah. So my Maihu, you know, right now the main ports are on the coast in Mombasa. And I think in August of last year they announced that my Maihu, where Ubuntu Life is, will be the first dry port in Kenya. So every bank, I don't think there's a bank. I think it's in. the first dry port in Africa. 
Yeah, and so it's a, a dry port. You think about a wet port where goods come in, but like Africa is massive, and so you have all these interior countries. And so instead of accessing their goods that are going in and out of, of off the continent of Africa, Mai Mai has been designated as a dry port, and China is putting the first high-speed railway wow. through Africa and starting in Mombasa. And Mai Mai, our town, is, has been designated as the dry port. And so, like right now, there there's not a single bank. In my Mayu, every bank in East Africa is setting up camp in my Mayu. Wild. Oh my yeah, and they've designated a thousand acre industrial park in my Mayu, um, where eventually our factory will, will go to. And so, to that point, the thing that's crazy exciting for what we're doing that I never had a, a vision for in the beginning and like I'm one I never even talked about until really like the last six months is that. Ubuntu is finding itself in this opportunity to be one of, if not the leading lifestyle brands out of Africa. Um, You know, because we're, something that's different about us is that we're an Africa-centric based brand that has a marketing and sales team in the U.S. Right. Um, And so we sell, you know, our sales last year, half of our sales were on the continent of Africa, half of our sales were in Canada and the United States. Um, and so, well, and you guys have lined up some really amazing partnerships in the last couple of years, right? Like Marvel, Zazzle, Disney. Disney. Yeah. Yeah. So how did those all come together? Baby Yoda shoes. (laughs) Our shoes are the first ones that come up. Are they really? Yes, dude, it's crazy. People are freaking out about Baby Yoda shoes. I need to look those up right now. (laughs) Baby Yoda shoes. So how did those all come together? How did they find you? Well, that all, you that, find well that's why I brought up Jeff of Zazzle, because that all happens. So Jeff, if you look up Zazzle, Z-A-Z-Z-L-E, Zazzle.com, you know, they are the leading customizable e-commerce platform in the world. And so from stamps to hats to coffee mugs to shirts to shoes, pillows, anything, you can customize it however you want. And so they make a bunch of their, you know, a bunch of their business comes from individuals, but a large portion comes from big corporations like Disney. They have licensing with Disney, Nickelodeon, um, Marvel. um, Yeah. I mean, it's like you name it, Peanuts, like all these big, (laughs) all these big cartoons or like, you know, when uh, Lion King came out this year, we got the licensing with Disney via Zazzle. And to so do we doing, customizable shoes. So what's that process like for you guys? So if somebody gets on Zazzle and customize their shoe, does ha- they're not already made. They make them to they order? They make them to order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how long does it take for them to get back here? Like two, two weeks. weeks. Yeah. Fully customizable. And it's insane. It's the first fully customizable shoe on the continent of Africa. That's you incredible. You can print your face on them. Yeah, we could. No yeah, way. Yeah, we could put your face. Can we put, right can we put my dog on them? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you can, like, upload images? Images, whatever yeah. you want. Absolutely. Yes. So how do they do that? Is there, like, a not trying to obviously give away trade secrets or anything, but do, is it printed on directly fabric? on the canvas. Oh, wow. So it's, ama- it's an amazing story of, like, living Ubuntu, which is what we talk about. We're all about. Ubuntu means... Translate. It's a, a ancient African philosophy that means I am because we are. You know how we're all connected in need of one another, and we see this. You know my relationship with Jeremiah and the beginnings and how it flowed through into our partnership with Whole Foods. But Zazzle is such a great on the business side because Jeff, you know, co-founder of Zazzle came, had this powerful transformative experience coming to Kenya with us. Two years later, he brought some of his executive team. And he's like, man, we so really, amazing. he's like, I love these bags. I love these bracelets. Committed. He's like, he's like, but we need to come up with a product 
that like Zazzle could really move on his platform. And I'm like, like what? And he's like, well, we did a huge deal with Keds that became a multi-million dollar business. He's like, and Keds doesn't have any story. Yeah. He's like, what if Ubuntu could do shoes? <gasps> and I'm like, I'm like, dude, Jeff. I'm like, our moms are barely making some good bags right now. I don't know if we can do, <laughs> <laughs> do shoes. And we did it. And we ended up doing shoes. And he just knew yeah. that he could, on that Zazzle platform, if we could figure it out, it could be a massive win for Zazzle. It could be a massive win for Ubuntu, for our moms. And so he backed it up and, like, they put in the original, like, we couldn't afford as a nonprofit then. Yeah. We couldn't afford to order the materials in bulk. And so I'm they sure fronted, there's a whole bunch of equipment and stuff. Just souls alone. And... Like, I mean, they fronted all the cash to get these souls originally. Really? Yeah. And then they fronted the cash to get these amazing customizable printers shipped to Kenya. And so, and now we're paying that back through the sales of the shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, That's unbelievable. And that was so all during, you know, once we were as the nonprofit. As a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the way it works now, you put in your order and you customize it however you want. You could go on and do a Baby Yoda or you could do a Mickey Mouse or you could upload, you know, Picnic mm-hmm. and do Absolutely. a graphic on there. And then it'll go straight to our factory in and Kenya. And some Picnic shoes. Yeah. Yes. Dude. And they'll, so cool. It's great. There are thousands. Thousands of designs. They'll be so neat. There you go. (gasps) So cute. They're really (laughs) so good looking. They're. I mean, they're both wearing them right now. I'm like super. And then these are the newest one. We we just launched a suede. Yeah. So cool. So now that you guys are moving into this for profit kind of entity structure, what are you doing to kind of be considerate of? The story, the ethos, the mission of what Ubuntu was about, Ubuntu life was founded on. Have you found that to be easy to maintain since that spirit has been so heavily integrated into everything you guys have done for the last 20 years? Are there new initiatives you've had to put in place? I mean, uh, so is the biggest, I think, our culture, we've done so much culture work. Um, so it was, not, you know, there was never a question of like, Oh, now that we're a business, you know, we're leaving behind that culture. It's like so baked into the fabric of the company. So it was more of like, how do we structure, you know, a for-profit such a new thing for me and for um, our enterprise leadership team? Like, what does this look like? How do we structure this responsibly? How do we not do it too fast? was a big thing, I think, for me, because I'm like, okay, we've got this massive opportunity with, you know, growing, scaling up with Whole Foods, with Zazzle and these shoes. Our e-commerce platform is, like, busting at the seams. We need to access more capital so mm-hmm. we can start doing advertising because, like, all of our sales last year online were pretty much with zero ad spend, you know, because wow. we didn't feel comfortable spending donor dollars for advertising. Right. And so I was like, you know, there's so many mistakes you make when you rush. And so fortunately with the board of directors that, that we have, they're like, man, just you can make so many mistakes if you rush into this. Like you can get you, these relationships with investors. It's like a marriage. Mm-hmm. It's like a 10 year minimum, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And so they're like, do not rush any of this. Like, let's get it. Let's get it super buttoned up. And so where we are now feels really great. So um, like who's going to own the land, who's going to own the 11 acres of land, who's going to own the vehicles we have over there, who's going to own the buildings. And so all of that was through the lens of sustainability, because that was really the word that Jeremiah and I had put in place in the beginning, like how we how we structure the nonprofit in a way that it doesn't need us. Like it can it can um, be a sustainable entity on its own with the maker moms and everything running it. And so that sustainability 
core value ran through on the for-profit side. And so we decided, one, the nonprofit will still own the land. Mm. And then the for-profit's going to rent. We have to pay rent anyway. Yeah. So we might as well be paying rent to the nonprofit oh, for the great. cafe, paying rent for the water factory, for the fashion Studio. label factory. Um, and so that's monthly revenue. For the nonprofit oh, that they don't have great. to go out and raise money for. Yeah. And then the nonprofit uh, has ownership in the for profit. And so when we start paying out dividends, the nonprofit will see receive, you know, minimum of like fifty thousand dollars a year upwards to like half a million dollars. Wow, a that's year. so incredible. Yeah. I think too, as you're talking about all of this, it's really easy for people as they're getting started in business to think if you take on investment, like you know, you're all of a sudden a greedy capitalist, you know, like... That's what I thought originally. Right? That's, yeah. what, that's what you think. You you go from being a small company and then you're trying to build this entity and you're raising money and all of a sudden it's capitalism and it's bad is the lens that a lot of people see it through. But the incredible thing about bringing on like-minded conscious investors is, one, it gives the investors something that they're really excited about putting their money towards. They know they're making a big difference in the world. Right. You know, they've been able to build their wealth in a way, in whatever way they built it in the yeah. past, and now put it towards something that they're really passionate about and believe in. And yeah. it's empowering and exciting for them. It's a very conscious investment. But in addition to that, it's a, it's necessary. Yeah. One of the things that we went through at Picnic was just this massive expansion with our retail products, for example. And in order to create a viable company where you can actually make products that people can buy, you need capital up front to be able to build inventory and make jobs. And a lot of times you sell your product to grocery stores who or retailers who won't pay you for 60 to 90 days. Mm -hmm. It requires so much upfront capital that a lot of people who have good ideas about starting a company they're not just sitting on half a million, a million dollars that they need to get their business started. So if you can find an investor, I know this is something that y'all have in common with me and probably people who are listening to this who are thinking about starting their own company or who have their own company. It's like if you're thinking about bringing on investors to partner with you, back to what you said, it's like it's really important that they align with your vision. They're very excited about the work you're doing. They encourage you to be in alignment with your mission, your ethos, your values, all the things that make your company yours. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's it's a it's a scary undertaking sometimes when you're looking at totally. bringing on investment and and finding the right people, but to your point, I've also always found that the universe has put the right people in my lap at exactly the right time. Yeah. You know, there's definitely been a big feeling of divine intervention in my journey with business. I know that's something that we share in common. Yeah. And I I know, looking back on my experience with Picnic, like a lot of the circumstances that unfolded over the last seven years were not things I created. They were things that fell into our yeah. it fell into our laps and uh, forced us to think about things in a new way and pivot. So, yeah, and it's interesting. You don't know you don't know what you don't know until you know it you know and it's like we were so hyper focused you talk about capital you know and not realizing what that unlocks for you and it's like the undertaking of going from making coffee sleeves and bracelets and bags to then the huge leap to a shoe and then the full first fully customizable shoe on the continent of africa 
it's such a grind to do that. And I thought, I, I thought, man, if we pull that off, like people are going to line up to want to buy that shit online. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the story is amazing. The shoe's great. Like if we can figure this out and then we do it and we launch it online and it's freaking crickets. <laughs> Like, dude, what the hell? Like, our shoes are so much better than everybody else's. Why do I see all these other shoes online? And then I only realize it's advertising dollars. It is. It's like, so we spent all this money to make this shoe, figure out how to do a great shoe. We war test the shoe. We got the right canvas. Then we, we got the right canvas from a supplier that shares our values. And we did all this stuff. And it's like, man, like... There is, this, there is, I mean, and I learned this, you know, in um, John Mackey's book, Conscious Capitalism, but like there is crony capitalism, but then there's conscious capitalism. And mm. it's like, it's, it's, it's just leading with your values, you know, the, and there are people who don't do that in the nonprofit space. Yeah. And there are people who do. There are people who don't do that in the for-profit space. And there are people who do. And, and I think it's like having capital so um jack kirby uh, a guy who we had as a consultant back in the day was like yeah you can have this great structure of a business but capital is the oxygen that breathes life into your business uh, and yes. without it you can have all the you can have a great of, idea yeah you can have a great idea you can have a great team you can have a great culture but if you don't have the life force to move it along Yeah, I feel you so much on that because I had a customer come in really early on when we first opened Picnic and I didn't have the resources to even keep lunch stocked. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was sold out of stuff all the time. And I had a customer say to me, which very much aligns with what you're saying about how capital is like the oxygen that keeps the business going. He said to me, it's really important to start small and max it out before you grow too big. Because for exactly that reason, if you go too big and you don't have the means to support it, you're in trouble right away. That's why, I mean, even in the restaurant industry, I'll see people open a brand new restaurant concept that don't have any background or experience in owning restaurants or any reputation in the community. They might have an amazing concept. But the second it opens, they don't have the traffic, yeah. the volume, because they don't have the means to support it, to do the advertising, you know, the word of mouth. All of those things require so much capital. Yeah, and so think- it's not greedy, I guess, is what my experience has been as somebody who lives in this conscious business space, yeah. same as you. It feels very overwhelming in the beginning when you're trying to become used to the idea of raising and spending money on your business but in order for you to do the work that you want to do in the world you need those resources to support you because otherwise the business doesn't exist right you are unable to fund the moms in kenya right you can't give them what they need to do their job so you've made this incredible community yeah with all of these amazing makers, and in order to keep those jobs alive for this new entity, this new in to continue funding the nonprofit, you need those things. So it's a, it's a delicate thing, right? Yeah. People no, think it's, it's something that I would love to to get into. Actually, that I don't think it's hard to talk about. Mo- well, yeah, it's hard to talk about, and I don't think many re- there are many resources in this um, that I think we can all uh, wrap around a little bit. Is the tension and the stress of the not yet mm-hmm. right and it's like it's so uncomfortable and i think this is where most even nonprofit executive directors for-profit founders ceos and startup mentality like you talk about holding that 
not yet space and it's super tense because if you have those too many of those resources and you don't have your product fully baked so like imagine for us um before we perfected the shoe before we perfected the afro drill if we had gari gone for profit you know i wouldn't have known i didn't have the right people around me to know how to spend those marketing dollars yeah i would have mm-hmm. wasted i did wait i wasted over sixty thousand dollars on hiring a pr company too soon yeah and I just thought oh, I've made so many. Well, and I was like, I was like, okay, we've got these cool bracelets. <laughs> we've got these cool bracelets, and we just need to get it out there. And we're online now, so I'll just go spit. Yeah, yeah, yes. Let's take on a PR company because they're going to go get an influencer. Mm-hmm. They're going to get us in a magazine. And it was like, flop, flop, flop. Like, yeah, or you spend like, the money on the PR person, and it blows up, and then you don't have the inventory to support it. Exactly. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's like you learn yeah. a lesson one yeah. way or the other. Yeah, you and, know? It was, and it's interesting. And I think wherever your your evolution is, I mean, um, I don't know, I don't know if you want to step in and talk a little bit about, like, for me, it be, and it comes in in unexpected ways. You know, so for me, I had this men- of where the tension comes in, and then not yet. You know, so for me as a priest running a nonprofit, and my co-founder, Jeremiah, who's also a pastor— you know, we had this idea that we couldn't go for profit, you know, that like one, it's over, it's over our head. There's no way I could hold my, my ground talking to an investor Two, why would I want to? Cause money is bad, right? Like people's obsession with money is the reason why there are children with special needs that are being ostracized, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not thought about, not cared for. And it was actually, again, through a relationship. I mean, Ummel was the one who really challenged me. You know, I was just like, <laughs> this can't keep going like this. You know, like, one, I'm, I'm in love with you and we're going to start a life together. And, like, there's no way you can afford my shopping habits. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, the, those exact words that I'm going to put in No, it was, it was interesting because I saw someone who was so deeply committed to helping and these moms and these kiddos and has has now spending half of the year in my Mayhu. And I went a couple times and in the conditions of which he was staying, you know, he was staying in a local hotel there, um, you know, running water and a bed, but that's about it. And you're lucky if a water worked every once in a while. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, I can't imagine how stressful that must be too with all the work that you're doing every day the things that you're seeing and then having to come back to that and not have a place to unpack yeah and feel safe and feel good and I was like just because you're doing this kind of work and in a lot of ways serving you know some of the underprivileged like doesn't mean that you necessarily have to live that way yeah and you have to fill your cup yeah, yeah. it was interesting because I had this mindset. And that's why I think it's so important to listen to the people in your life because it took, one, I had to learn to trust Amal and we fell in love. And, 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 and it was years later that Amal then came in and breathed this new life into Ubuntu. But it's like that discomfort of thinking of thinking a new way, you know, because it was Amal having us having those conversations that opened up more space within myself that then allowed us to actually accommodate a whole nother type of person mm-hmm. who wasn't willing to stay, like an investor, yeah. right? Wasn't gonna, isn't willing to stay in my Mayu. 
right? And so it yeah, opened up. Yeah, people have left, you yeah. know, when some of those really? tri- oh, yeah. trips, some of those teams. <laughs> yeah, because it was just so rough. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. I was outside of, completely outside of their comfort zone. And I think that you you absolutely, as a, as a brand, too, you know, you have to be able, you have to touch everyone. And you have to make everyone feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And imagine, gosh, imagine what you can do when, once you broaden that. And, yeah. and we did and in, in forming a lifestyle brand you know you yeah, got, you got to live you got to live that brand too and i think we made some we made some cool changes yeah we definitely and inside and, it, and out yeah, yeah and i think and i don't i don't know with you Naomi but it's like that that tension can't be trained like i think that's where it comes in some sort of spiritual practice mm-hmm. um, because it's a as stressful as it is, it's actually a creative tension, you know, so those conversations that Amala and I had about changing the way that we lived in Kenya actually was really uncomfortable for me because I had created a story around why I needed to live there. Right. Um, and then that shifted and we started spending more time in Nairobi and then that opened up channels for our brand in Nairobi and different avenues that never would have happened before. Right. Um, that then if you had done things <clears throat> the old way. The old way. You know, and then, you know, that leads to the opportunity where you start to look at becoming a for-profit. Like, there were so many unlocks of discomfort um, and moving, you know, moving out of your comfort zone. You know, that it just, that just takes time and practice and patience. Um, you know, it's so like, flash forward to today to take onboarding, you know, investment capital. Stepping in that space, same, new, new... New story, but same central feeling. Mm. Um, and I don't know, I'm all about the, this book. What's the name of the book that we're reading that we read last By night? By Dr. Hollis? Yeah. It's all around <laughs> Jung, Jung, the unconscious. Carl, Carl, Carl Jung and the unconscious. And there was a part last night where he talked about insight, courage, and endurance. And that this is this old warrior's creed. Um, and that the first step is you receive insight. Mm. which you could say is your intuition mm-hmm. of, of something that needs to shift or change or pursued or received, whatever it may be. And from insight, you have to have the courage then to move to act on it and act. And then even after you act, it takes it then endurance, you know, to sustain, you know, so it's like right now that could be that is so true. So, so, so true. I yeah. mean, I've been through that experience time and time. And that never again. ends. Mm. Yeah, because you can have a great insight or an intuitive thought about something or something that's going to catapult you in a new direction in your life or in your career, and you take action to do it, but it's that maintenance mode that is yeah. really hard for people. That's Super. really hard for me, you know, yeah. once things are stable and settled, right, and you're a creative person or you see what's coming next like you were talking about it's that period of waiting that is so hard for people when you know where you're going and what the vision is yeah and time is just in the way of you getting there so it's that maintenance mode really requires such a warrior or time is not getting time is like you got a lot to like i just think about where i have what i've perceived time getting in the way it's actually time working on me Mm -hmm. you know it's like i had to go through this discomfort to shift my perceptions of things. I mean, my old way of operating when I was a priest, like I never would have even entertained 
running a for-profit business and talking to investors. Yeah. So there's like all these things that time had to work in me, mm. you know, to be able to even get to that place. And that took courage, yeah. you know, and endurance to like... You had to learn so many lessons. It makes me think of this quote. Mm. I can't remember who told me this. This was my husband or like a psychic or something. Let's give Kevin some credit. Let's give Kevin some credit. Always. Oh, man. I get the majority. So many of my good ideas come from Kevin. Really. Almost all of them. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, really? (laughs) Pretty much 99%. Um, No, but he said to me once, it's like a tree. You know, you wouldn't, you don't rush a tree to grow its leaves. Right. You know what I mean? Uh It happens in its own time. And that really is the same thing with business. A lot of times we get in this place where we see the vision, we know what's coming, we have the sense of urgency, we want to do it now, but there's an art in waiting because you can't rush it. A lot of times you need to learn the lessons that you need to learn that will lead you to where, you know, that end result of where you'll be in the end. And I think I love about when you (laughs) meditate, when you meditate, pray, is this awareness, too, that there's this whole other part of life that's moving while you're moving. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, so these things that we think, oh, my God, it just happened. It was just coincidence. It's like, well, not really. Maybe what was happening was you were actually participating in time working on you mm-hmm. for this other thing to let time work on it so it could show up mm-hmm. at the perfect time. Mm-hmm. You know, but it was like everyone had to do their work. It's like the... I said this, I think, in the first episode. It's that, quote, why is this happening? Uh, it's not why is this happening to me. It's why is this happening for, for me. me. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something you have to think about all the time. Yeah. Well, so I would love to hear a little bit more about your time as a priest. When was that? <laughs> and is that, are you still? Still, yeah. Yeah. Still doing the priest thing. Wow. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, uh, I'm not like, I mean, I still have, I'm, you know, in the Episcopal Church, you're, you have a diocese and you're under a bishop. And so my bishop is Mark Andrews. Um, and I'm under the Diocese of California, which is headquartered in San Francisco. Um, so still a priest, still identify as a priest. Um, but I view, I'm living out that calling um, by serving in Kenya. Um, but also creating a brand that is more than just a product. Mm-hmm. Like it's actually an opportunity. Like I think when people, you know, there's been this craze, I don't know if it's craze is the right word, but definitely a shift in a movement where people want purpose behind what they buy. They do. Or they want to know where it comes from, whether it's their food or their clothing. And, you know, before that shift was like the organic food movement. And so now it's moved into apparel and, it's moved into soaps and all these things, which is great. And so as a priest, I view that as, as um, God moving in, in, in a larger scale in the world beyond the church walls. And so how do I participate in, in, in that? Um, and it was really scary at first, you know, um, it felt a lot safer within the church because you can clearly identify I'm doing God's work here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's you know somewhat easy to say that too when you're working and serving the poor in Africa. It's a little bit of a reach when you start like in the fashion space, mm-hmm. you know. But so for me, I love living that out in simple things like how are we sourcing these materials? What impact is that having on the earth? Um, how are we messaging in a way that's honoring 
the maker moms, you know, who make our products and how we, the imagery we share about our kids, Mm -hmm. you know, is this imagery uh, participating in a patronizing um, pity type campaign that's actually keeping people trapped in a mindset that people in Africa are poor um, and they desperately need us versus Africa rising Mm -hmm. and in a way that is viewed with integrity and that these are powerful women and children that are moving through their obstacles in the same way that we are every day. Um, Africa thriving. And are thriving. Yes, we talk about like Africa surviving was the way we grew up, Mm -hmm. perceiving Africa that we inherited from media and society. And then with the rise of, or release of Nelson Mandela, um, which is interesting timing, um, Lion King, the movie comes out like right after Nelson Mandela was released from prison. Mm. And so it's kind of mirroring this imagery or this perception of Africa going from Africa surviving to Africa rising. Mm. And now if you spend any time with us in Africa, it's just Africa thriving. Like Mm. Africa is on the move culturally. It's on the move, you know, globally in the business space, it's on the move, you know, art, music, food, it's on the move. And, but most of the Western world wants to keep, well, I don't know if we want to, but we keep that mentality, that perception of Africa surviving. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so, a different reality. And so I love, as a, pri- I love mm-hmm. as a priest, like my whole job then was to get up and preach a narrative that people could connect to a story of, of thriving, of hope, of love, joy. It's like, well, we're doing a similar thing here, but through a brand and through all these tools with shoes and bracelets and water, all these things that, Ooh, like, show Africa thriving. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a different narrative that you're helping, you're challenging people to break this old way of seeing and thinking. Well, you sent me an article about the fashion industry in Africa. In Africa. Can you talk a little bit yeah. about that? Well, I mean, it's just, it's, um, it's, I mean, what's happening in the fashion space across Africa is directly connected to what's happening in the art space. And, the music space and the food space and the tech space. I mean, like they call Nairobi the Silicon Valley of Africa. Um, There's just tech innovation that's happening there that is, you know, on the scale of, you know, they, I mean, they were, they were exchanging, they were paying through their cell phones before we were in Nairobi. That's wild. through Through this platform called M-Pesa, you know, and it's like, they're literally, you would be out with the Maasai in the middle of nowhere and they're trading cattle Via their phones through, <laughs> through an account. Wow, no no cash is being exchanged, you know. Um, and so in the fashion space, it's the same. You know, it's just it's a reflection of where... Um, and this is like, it's nothing new. Like, America went through this. Europe went through this. China, the middle class forming, you know, went through this. Like, like the onset of when Nike was first starting to happen. Like, China was having this revolution and massive growth as a, you know space india has gone through that and now for the first time in the history of the world africa is having is having this moment well it yeah. must be so amazing to be a part of that oh absolutely. and feel so fundamental yeah. to that also i mean you feel guys are part of it yeah definitely yeah we're the largest employer in my my oh yeah. my gosh which is something we're proud of That's sure. how how is the um how have your jobs and things changed over the course of the last couple of years have they have you brought on a whole bunch of other jobs since well, I mean, you started I think doing shoes biggest, and other retail? I think a biggest way to see that for me would be like, I mean, we never had a real designer 
before. Um, we had, you know, we'd partner with Whole Foods to z- design product or Zazzle to design product. But like we have a great designer, you know, Gladys Mashardia, who designs majority, I mean, between. She's Amol, Kenyan. Yeah, she's, she's in Kenya, Kenyan. She's in Nairobi. Born Amazing. and raised in Kenya. Studied in Italy for 10 years. Yeah. And then came back to Kenya and, you know, is leading the charge with Amol on concepting, you know, the products that we tee up season from season. That must be so fun for you, Amal. You're just so fashionable. Like, to be able to... <laughs> Every time I see you, I'm like, oh, where'd you get that shirt? Where'd you get those shoes? Like, teach me everything. Babe town, babe. I know. The first time I met her, I was like, she is such a babe town, babe. <laughs> such a gorgeous lady. Has that been fun for you? Is this oh, the work that you did before? Yeah, it's been a blast. I, um... After college at UT, I went to New York for 10 years and produced runway shows. I didn't Um, know that. So production, you know, obviously fashion production was my calling, I thought, afterwards. And I did that for 10 years, but, you know, I loved to produce. So came back to Austin and got into production. And so was doing high-end events again, opened up um, a members-only club, helped a gentleman here in Austin, Kit McClanahan, build a members club called Pershing on the East Side. And so kind of do this events and, you know, obviously having a passion for fashion. I was like, you know, I talked to Zane. We were dating at the time. Um, at this point, knew we would get married, talked enough about it, and was like, you know, kind of struggling with, like, having, having all of these resources um, just for my for my professional career, my personal, and utilizing it for, you know, people that I I respect so much, but for their vision. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I was very much involved in Ubuntu, um, and we had talked about it, and I was like, well, what would that look like if I came on full-time with Ubuntu? And, you know, you have to consider... You consider that of working with your spouse, but then also considering that this would be our life mm-hmm. because Ubuntu is... You're both fully in. Yeah. yeah. it's It was certainly his vocation at this point and a massive part of me and needing to decide, okay, if, if, I, if I do this, you know, if we get married, then this needs to be my full-time commitment. And so when we started talking about it, you know, it was a question of like, why are you utilizing all of your resources for someone else um, and something that isn't 100% yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we made the decision and I got Pershing open with Kip and went full time with Ubuntu about two and a half years ago. Yeah. So what's it been like for you guys working together as husband and wife? Um, Awful. <laughs> <laughs> I've got uh, a new boss. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm already the boss, right? So, um, no, it's been it's been freaking amazing. We're so blessed. Um, we're so lucky. We both we have very different superpowers. Mm-hmm. Um, so we complement each other really well. I mean, yeah. there's definitely a yin and a yang here, and. I'm definitely the Yang. <laughs> yeah. um, um, and it's great. Do you guys have, obviously, you've got these different sectors of the company. Do you have pretty separate daily responsibilities or are you overseeing each other or how I, does that work in the day to day for you guys? It overlaps a bit for sure. I mean, yeah. gosh, you know, I definitely focus on, I mean, God, it does overlap for sure. But 
partnerships and branding. I work closely with the design team. Um, you know, right now Zane is like just so deep in finance and <laughs> that's a full time job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, we cross it's over full CEO yeah. Yeah. for sure. And I'm head of business development. So yeah. And where we cross over, uh, which is really fun is like, um, we'll cross over with the marketing team before we launch a campaign. Um, or if we're working on a new product, we'll cross over and like little tweaks about that product. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll cross over. So like we'll, we'll leave for Kenya at the beginning of May and we'll be there till the beginning of August. Wow. And so we'll cross over and like, okay, who all are we bringing to Kenya? We have donors who are coming. We have investors who are coming. We have business partners who wow. are coming. And so like... Do they like, all come at once? No, or it's different all types? different times. We'll have like our U.S. Some of our U.S. team will come over, you know, because we'll do a whole photo shoot and video content out there. So we'll cross over there, but then um, we'll you know run point on wholesale and um, working with Gladys on a lot of product iteration. And then I've been running full go with you know the investors and the pivot, for, you know, and pushing the for profit into existence. And do you guys have? the same vision do you have differing visions on a lot of stuff no we have a a lot of the same but we have we have (laughs) creative differences yeah i think so i think zane is an idea guy you know that's what makes (laughs) yeah yes i'm an idea lady (laughs) which is which is incredible and i don't ever he should never stop because so many of them is why this organization and now you know company is where it is today and you look at his patience his ideas um his commitment you know and that's why Ubuntu survived for 20 years Mm -hmm. and then you know I think I come in with um oh and patience but then I can you say impatience no my impatience (laughs) his patience but like his patience has made that last for 20 years then I come in with her impatience (laughs) is what's helping it grow faster Yes. It's definitely we're both loyal. We're both loyal to the bone and dedicated, but then my impatience and then, you know, my execution. Um helps. sounds like a beautiful partnership. Yeah. yeah. How did you guys meet again? We met through uh an Ubuntu board member, Jim McDermott, um, who is a lifetime friend of Amos. Uh, oh, no way. Yeah. 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 How so, amazing. It's been really cool. So Zane and I have known each other since the beginning of Picnic, and I remember, I think it was the very, very first date you guys went on, and I was like, just, I hope you go with somebody who's really good to you, because you're such an amazing person. Well, you were trying to set me up with people. (laughs) She had, like, gals at Picnic. So, like, Naomi was like, Naomi was trying to, like, set me up with some some of the loyal customers at Picnic, and then I was like, well, I've been dating this one gal, and she's like, okay, yeah, right, like, let how is she? How she treats you? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, yeah. she's great. It's like, like trying to be protective. Yeah. And she was like, know? okay, let, I'll never forget. She's like, okay, let's see a photo of her. <laughs> and so I, I got my phone out. I showed her. She's like, whoa, she's a Babetown babe. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Total Babetown. Total Babetown And then babe. the first time I met Awful, she came in with her dog, Bug. Biscuit. Biscuit. <laughs> he is a bug. A little biscuit it's bug. It's like, what, a yeah, pound and a half? Chihuahua. Six pounds. I was instantly in love. I was like, okay, this is going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And Zane has been incredibly 
instrumental before we even met in b- helping me build relationships with the Whole Foods yeah, team. Yeah, that's right. Before we got our pr- yeah our products in with Lauren Evans and uh, before we got our bottled coffee into the store and built that relationship with Lauren to yeah. open the 365 store. And that's when you and I really started to get to know each other. Totally. So it's been a really beautiful relationship. It's fun. It's all, we all, it all started at the trailer. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> Good old South trailer side. on South Lamar. Oh, four, baby. Well, I'm just really inspired by the work you guys are doing, and this seems like a good time to start thinking about wrapping it up. Yep. So, at the end, I always like to ask my guests a couple of questions. Nice. Um, so, we'll end with those. So, the first is, what is in your morning cup right now? What are you drinking every morning? Oh. Your morning cup has changed. Yeah, my morning cup has changed. <laughs> um, I gave up caffeine um, a while ago, probably like four months ago. So my morning cup is a decaf um, English breakfast tea. Yeah. One bag mixed with a rooibos tea <gasps> oh, bag. Oh, I love that. Yum. With almond milk. I also have been off of caffeine temporarily. Mm, I'm holding down the caffeine for it. <laughs> um, I usually start, I always start with drinking water. And then I go to, what's the brand that we love that I drink tea every morning? The British? Oh, um, Harvey? No. No. Two two names. Thompson. um, God, this is like 0 for 2 with us. I know. (laughs) It's a Monday, P.S. It is a Monday. We're both both feeling under the weather. Yeah. But no, it's just like an Under the weather. Let's talk about that. Are you guys coming in here with coronavirus? I feel like it. <laughs> but I, um, I, I became. I, I'm like, do I brush that under the yeah. rug or do I take that seriously? No, I don't. I will. I, I would know. <laughs> <laughs> My God. No, but I, I Fortin Mason. Fortin and Mason is an old British tea company that I used to be a coffee guy. But then all the work in Kenya, I mean, Kenya does have amazing coffee, but it's such a tea culture. And so I've got into tea and then marrying a Pakistani who is committed to tea. That's my morning. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. We have tea rituals in my household. Yeah. What do you guys do? Um, Well, the British colonized Pakistan. So about three times a day. Four times a day. There's tea. And I got English tea at the house. And same with and same with Kenya because. Brits colonized Kenya, and so they do they do tea two to three times a day. Wow! And so I was already doing. I was like super into that, and so then when I met Amal, she was already doing that. So it's like we love to take a pause I in the morning and the afternoon for a cup of tea. That's really beautiful. There's yeah. apparently a I think it's a Swedish tradition, something called Fisk, where it's like coffee hour and something sweet. So Kevin Sign and I up, are like dude, totally on, on that. Yeah, it's that's like it. that's love like coffee every, or tea. Yeah. Every afternoon. Every afternoon. <laughs> Hi, Absolutely. Tea. Well, okay. So the last question I'll ask you guys before we um, hop off is what is the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, mm. gosh. The maker moms. Our job. That's so beautiful. Truly. I mean, that's not, I'm not full of shit when I say that. Like, I... I I really am so inspired by what we do and the team that we have created. And I love our U.S. team that we get to see every day. And, you know, just that, you know, holding myself responsible for them and showing up every day and being the best leader I can. So, And it's been that. It's been, it's been awesome. Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, it's um, getting to 
feel like I'm fully participating in why God you know, took the time to let me be a part of this world, you know, um, and that I get to do it with such amazing people and we get to come up with ideas and participate in co-creating something that's really making a difference in the world. Oh, yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. Well, I just feel so honored to have you guys here. Thank you so much for taking the time. I hope you feel better. Thank I'm going to go disinfect myself. Love you guys so Love much. You. Thank you so much Thank for coming. You. Thank you. As always, thanks for tuning in, guys. And if you have time, hop on iTunes and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss another episode. Also, please feel free to leave me a rating and a review. I'd love to hear from you. Take care.